Let us pray. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. Today's Old Testament reading comes from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 11. Let us hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that she has served her term, that her penalty is paid, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries out, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all people shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out! And I said, what shall I cry? All people are grass. Their constancy is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good tidings. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good tidings. Lift it up, do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. See, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. His reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead the mother sheep. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today's second scripture reading comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Listen now for God's word to you and to me. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophet Isaiah, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, the one who is more powerful is coming than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The word of the Lord. Jesus brought a fresh new message a new gospel, a new word to our world. 
And it's a message that heralds both judgment and rebirth. His good news announces a totally different social order, a coming reign of God. And to participate in this new social order, we are called, as people of faith, to make a journey from darkness to light, from false isolation to true communion, from self-centeredness to living a life in service of others. The one who saves us from our sin also calls us to follow him. And while we love Jesus, we respect him, admire him, if we're honest, most of us, perhaps all of us, hesitate a bit to follow him. And we hesitate, I think, because we know where the journey must begin. Six years ago, in 2014, following a grand jury's decision not to indict police officer Darren Wilson for the death of Michael Brown, Benjamin Watson, an accomplished African-American football player who's played for multiple teams over two decades, after the indictment was not passed down, he posted a comment on his Facebook page just hours after the Ferguson grand jury decision. In his post, Mr. Watson explained why he, as an African-American male, was, and he listed these feelings, angry, frustrated, fearful, embarrassed, sad, sympathetic, offended, confused, introspective, and hopeful. It was a really thoughtful post with a conclusion that really grabbed my attention and the attention of others. At the end of his post, Mr. Watson explained why, despite all the racial prejudice and class warfare, he explained why he still remained encouraged. I'm encouraged, he wrote, because ultimately the problem is not a skin problem, he wrote. It's a sin problem. Sin, he argued, is the reason we rebel against authority. Sin is the reason we abuse the authority we've been given. Sin is the reason we are racist and prejudiced and lie to cover for our own. Sin is the reason we riot and loot and burn. But I'm encouraged, he went on. I'm encouraged because God has provided a solution for sin through his son, Jesus, and with it, a transformed heart and mind. One that's capable of looking past the outward and seeing what is truly important in every single human being. The cure for the Michael Brown, Trayvon Martin, Tamir Rice, and Eric Garner tragedies is not education or exposure, he wrote. It's the gospel. So finally, I'm encouraged because the gospel gives humankind hope. Well, you see, the problem is it's Democrats. Wait a minute, no, no, it's Republicans. No, wait, it's Black Lives Matter. No, it's right-wing evangelicals. No, it's immigrants. The problem is, no, the problem is greed. No, it's pride. No, wait, lust. Fear? Fear, that's it. The problem is fear. No, wait, the problem is the, the breakdown of the traditional family or the gap, the growing gap between the rich and the poor, or maybe it's our insatiable appetite for violence. The problem is, the problem is there are so many answers to this question. Ask a hundred people, hey, what's the problem in the world today? What's the problem we are facing? And you'll get a hundred different answers. But I'm guessing, I'm only guessing that only a handful of people, if anyone would say, 
The problem is our sin. In our multicultural, interfaith, postmodern world, using such religious language, such narrow language, to describe the source of all of our troubles feels inauthentic and to some even a bit lazy. Trying to make the case that the complex problems of our world and our nation and our city and the church can all be boiled down to the presence of sin feels like a gross oversimplification. And yet sin, sin is the exact place where the good news of Jesus Christ begins. The gospel of Jesus Christ begins with people journeying into the wilderness to stand in line with others to receive a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of their sin. Before Jesus could get to work on the problems of the world, he first needed to address the problems, the problem with our hearts. Despite the fact they were baptized on the same Sunday and raised in the same church, Jane and Sally lived very different lives. Happens. Jane, Jane cheated and swindled her way through life. She often disregarded the rules, and she succumbed to all manner of temptations. Sally, on the other hand, good old Sally, she was the model Christian, always choosing to do the right thing, not the wrong. Surprisingly, shockingly, Sally and Jane died the very same day in heaven, standing next to each other in that line, waiting to pass through the pearly gates, each, each preparing, was preparing for a very different welcome from Peter. Jane expected to get a good talking to from God. All those years of disregarding God's laws would certainly have a price to be paid. Perhaps that was why she was so surprised, shocked even, when she got to the gate and St. Peter just smiled and let her on in. Sally, on the other hand, after all those years of doing the right thing, she expected at least a pat on the back as she passed through the gates. Perhaps that is why she was so shocked, surprised even, when St. Peter stopped her on her way in, pulled her aside and said, Sally, I hope you know how fortunate you are to be here. Jane and Sally lived very different lives, but it was Sally, the good one, who had succumbed to the greater temptation. It was Sally who had struggled to acknowledge the depth and breadth of her sin. When push comes to shove, I have to agree with Benjamin Watson's assessment. We have a sin problem. Sin is at the root of every struggle humanity faces. Aside from natural disasters that befall everyone, Sin is to blame for most of the things we deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. Sin is why radical extremists justify the killings of innocent people. Sin is why the rich hoard and the poor covet. Sin is what keeps the wheels of systemic racism turning and turns peaceful process into riots. Sin is why good people say and do really stupid things. Sin is at the root of all the problems that have plagued humanity from the beginning. But that's really only half the story. Sin is not only the root cause of injustice. Sin is also what prevents people from getting involved in solving the problems that are caused by our collective sin. And that, in my estimation, is by far the greater tragedy. The true power of sin, I think, lies in its ability to both create problems, we all know about that, 
but it also stops people from working to solve them. The same pride that prevents us from admitting our faults is what causes us to pass by on the other side when someone else is in need. The same shame that traps us in a web of self-hatred is what tricks us into believing that there is nothing we can do to help them. The same self-hatred that makes us believe that we are not possibly good enough for God is what makes it easy for us to hate the other. Sin, after all, at its core is about separation. Separation from our true selves, separation from one another, separation from God, of course, and perhaps most importantly, separation from the work we are called and equipped to do. The longer I do this work of ministry, the more I see history repeat itself, both in churches and in society, the more I'm convinced that nothing will be solved in the world until it's first solved in our hearts. I'm starting to wonder if we hesitate as a people, as individuals, as a church sometimes, to get involved in the problems out there because we haven't allowed ourselves to experience the full power of God's grace in our own lives. I wonder if we don't believe God's love can heal all divisions, all injustice, all brokenness, because we hold back the most broken and divided parts of ourselves. I wonder if we don't believe God's love can really do extraordinary things outside the walls of this church because we don't think God's love can do extraordinary things for us. Whenever Father Gregory Boyle saw Pedro walking the streets, he would offer him a trip to rehab every single time. And every time he saw Pedro walking the streets, he would say to Father Boyle, that's okay, G, I'm okay. One day, much to Father Boyle's surprise, Pedro changed his answer, and he got in the car with Father Boyle, went to rehab, and began his long, hard journey back to himself, back to the world. Well, 30 days into his rehab, Pedro's younger brother, Johan, he did the unthinkable. He took his own life. The world around him was just too much for him to handle. When Father Boyle called Pedro with this news, Pedro was, of course, devastated. But now that he was 30 days sober and thinking with a clear mind and feeling with a clear heart, he allowed the pain to settle into his core instead of putting it in some corner to fester. When Father Boyle arrived at the rehab center to take Pedro to the funeral, they didn't speak for about 15 minutes in the car. They just sat there in an awkward and uncomfortable silence, neither sure what to say to the other. Pedro finally broke the silence by telling Father Boyle about a dream, a dream he had had the night before. In the dream, Pedro and Father Boyle were in this large, empty room alone. There were no lights in this room, no external light coming in, no exit signs offering a little bit of hope. It was complete and total darkness. Pedro said that despite the presence of that darkness, he knew, somehow he knew that Father Boyle was in the room with him, even though words were being spoken between them. Suddenly, after a while, in the dark silence, Father Boyle retrieved a flashlight from his pocket and turned it on. 
Slowly, deliberately, he found the light switch in the room and shined a beam of light on it. No words spoken, no explanation offered, no promise of a better tomorrow, just a beam of light on a switch on the wall. Pedro in the dream stood up. He realized he was the one that had to go and turn on the switch. He was the one who had to walk through the darkness to the light. Slowly, with trepidation, he did that. He made his way to the switch. He took a deep breath when he got there, and he turned it on. The room was flooded with light. As Pedro finished his story, his eyes were full of tears, and with a voice of astonishing discovery, he said, and the light, the light is better. It's better than the darkness. I guess my brother, he just never found the switch. Sin is not as powerful as we think it is. In our minds, we imagine sin to be an impenetrable fortress that cannot be moved. But that's a lie sin loves to tell. Sin is not a mighty fortress. It's a house of cards that comes tumbling to the ground when we let God into our hearts to transform us from the inside out. We don't have to be defined by our sin. And the really good news is that the world doesn't have to be either. The problem is, the problem is our sin, and our sin has been defeated. All that's left for us to do is to begin the journey where it starts. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophet Isaiah, see, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, we are told, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Our journey with Christ begins in the last place most of us want to be, standing in line with sinners in the middle of nowhere. But until we let the good news of God's love be received and speak to us in that place, in our own present darkness, until we hear and believe the good news is for us and for others, we will struggle mightily to live out Christ's commands to love and to serve and to forgive. Until we know that love, we will have a really hard time sharing it. The same grace that redeems us also empowers us to love one another and to do the hard, meaningful work of justice and reconciliation. And once we accept that good news, I believe there is no issue, no injustice, no struggle. That with God's help and the partnership of others cannot be overcome. Not a single one. Amen.